0: Do you, Chris, take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? Do you promise to barrage her with obscure facts concerning comics, movies, TV shows, and toys? I do. And Cindy, do you take this man-child to be your lawfully wedded husband? Do you promise to humor him by engaging him in his obsessive ramblings, for better or worse, in pre-crisis or in post?
1: Sure, why not?
0: Then, by the power invested in me by the High Father of the Fourth World, I now pronounce you Supermates. Supermates. You may podcast with the bride. Hello and welcome to episode 24 of Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. I'm Chris. And I'm
1: Cindy.
0: And today we are going to start our special one year anniversary celebration. Uh, believe it or not, we have been doing this for a year now. Uh, well,
1: podcasting, not the marriage.
0: Yeah, <laughs> not the marriage. <laughs> we, uh, well, by the time this comes up, it'll be probably it'll be close to when we launched it. I think we launched it the week of Valentine's Day, so we might be a week early or something. But the way the schedule fell out, it was as close as we're going to get. And actually, uh, we're going to revisit the topic that we covered in our first two episodes, which was famous comic book couples. But this time we're focusing in on the actual wedding issue of those couples. And that idea came from our good friend and podcasting luminary Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics, Palace of Glittering Delights, Fantasticast, and Listen to the Prophets, uh, which is a Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, and and the man who apparently doesn't sleep. Uh, (laughs) uh, But Andy uh, suggested, I think it may have been in response to our Donna Troy episode, uh, because we talked a little bit about the wedding issue, uh, the wedding of Donna Troy then, and he said you should do a whole episode devoted to wedding issues, and we're like, perfect. Perfect for our anniversary episode. So... We are going to do part one this time and continue into the next episode. The first episode of the series we talked about Aquaman and Mira, Reed Richards and and Sue Richards, Mr. Fantastic Invisible Girl, and Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Well, Hawkman and Hawkgirl were already married when they appeared in the Silver Age.
1: So there's no wedding to reference
2: from.
0: Right, there's no wedding issue. So, considering we did do the Who is Donna Troy story, we did cover that. Issue number 38 of New Teen Titans, we thought it only logical to cover Tales of the Teen Titans number 50. So we'll be covering that instead. So, uh, you want to go ahead and get started?
1: Sure. So, the first issue we're going to talk about is Aquaman number 18, Published November December of nineteen sixty four, on sale September seventeenth, of '64. Cover art by Nick Carty and the title is The Wife of Aquaman. The writer, Jack Miller, artist, Nick Carty editor, George Cashton. Aquaman and Aqualad are summoned to Atlantis only to learn that King Hoover Huvar?
0: Hoover? Uh uh-huh. Duvor, I don't know.
1: <laughs> is dead. Aquaman has been elected by the people as their new leader, being the only candidate the people could a- agree on. Fearing a possible civil war may result if he refuses, he reluctantly agrees. Then the Sunken City's representative, Tumal drops the bomb on the new Sea King. Ancient law decrees he must choose an Atlantean bride.
2: Dun, dun, dun.
1: The aquatic duo leave to ponder Aquaman's predicament when they spot Mira being pursued by a man on a sea monster. Mira's pursuer creates another monster out of the water surrounding them, but Aquaman manages to evade them and rescue Mira, who falls unconscious. Taking her back to the Aqua Cave, the Sea King admits to his young ward that he loves her. Mira awakens and tells the heroes how she no longer has her water-manipulating powers. She relates how the dimensional ray allowing her access to our world was shorting out, so she made the hard decision to leave her water dimension behind to live here with Aquaman. However, another denizen of her world followed, the evil oceanus, who is obsessed with his queen. When Mira rejects him, he zaps her with a weapon that robs her of her powers. It is then that Aquaman and Aqualad arrive to help her. Bound by his duty to Atlantis, Aquaman tells Mira he can never marry her, despite her sacrifice. Unwilling to hear reason, Mira storms off before the sea king can tell her why. Distraught, Mira is caught off guard by Oceanus The smooth-talking criminal tells Mira of a kingdom he has found for them to rule together Oceanus lays claim to his new kingdom, Atlantis itself By overpowering its populace with creatures created using his water-manipulating powers Aquaman and Aqualad arrive to help but soon succumb to the strange abilities of Oceanus And are shocked to find the villain sitting on the throne of Atlantis with Mira Tumul begs Mira to help her former friends But the dejected queen ain't having any of it Oceanus wants to crush the duo to death, but Mira says that is too easy for the humiliation she suffered at their hands. So instead, he orders them into slave labor, where they are forced to do mundane tasks and help erect a temple and large statues of the royal couple. While Oceanus is distracted with the work, Aquaman is able to command some of his finny friends to topple the statue of Oceanus. While his monstrous creatures are distracted by the commotion, the heroes escape and assault assault Oceanus's home but the duplicitous villain was ready for them and soon creates another beast to destroy them as things look grim for the aquatic duo Mira seizes Oceanus's gun declaring her love for Aquaman despite his rejection of her Oceanus does not want to lose his power so agrees to destroy his monster in exchange for his freedom the villain swims off and Mira is prepared to leave her unrequited love behind Thankfully, Aqualad suggests making Mira an honorary Atlantean in thanks for her service to the city. Aquaman jumps at the idea, realizing if Mira were a citizen of the Sunken City, he could marry her. And so, with Mira an honorary citizen of the Sunken City, the happy couple are wed before the gathered Atlantean populace and Aquaman's Justice League comrades. The king has found his queen.
0: Very good. You know, right off the bat the uh, the cover to this one is 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 really nice i mean nick Cardi is one of the the best comic and and commercial artists i think that that's that's ever lived in my opinion i i think he's he's not really underrated because everybody does love him but i don't think his name is brought up enough in comics as it should be he's not he's not brought up often enough with the masters of the silver and bronze So maybe age.
1: you need to start something about Jose Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, and something with Nick Cardi. <laughs> you know, there you
0: go. Yeah, I'm sure Rob would help me, support me with that since, uh, you know, he kind of, he started that Jose thing. And, uh, you know, he, obviously Nick Cardi did a lot for Aquaman. See? Uh, so, and obviously designed Mira and uh, and uh, other various other Aquaman characters, Black Man, Ocean Master. The cover, you know, you got Aquaman and Aqu... Aquaman, Aqualad, well oh. <laughs> It's not that it's not that kind of a wedding. Aquaman and Mira standing there amongst the Justice League members and, and you you get Robin and Aqualad and it's just a it's just a great cover. I mean, it totally tells you what's gonna happen inside the story, but most kids were probably like, Oh yeah, this is a you know, this is a hoax. This is they're going to they're going to pull it out in the end. They won't really get married, right? But but they do. It's, it's kind of funny because Hawkman and Aquaman had met a few months earlier in the Brave and the Bold number fifty one, and he actually joined the Justice League this month. Hit so I, I kind of think that he's there more as Aquaman's friend than a Justice Leaker because he joined that same month. But it might have just been. Really really good editorial coordination, which they didn't do very well back then. Oddly enough, Green Lantern doesn't seem to be in the comic or on the cover unless he's a shadowy figure. You know, maybe he's just like, oh man, dude, there's no ball and chain for me. I ain't supporting you in this, you
1: know. Well, or maybe he saw where Mira was batshit and run. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Um, I'm just putting that out there because you know we'll we'll get to that as we get through the story, but hold on. <laughs> you know
0: they do, they do show Robin there at the wedding, but oddly enough, Kid Flash isn't. Despite the three of those meeting, you know Aqualad, Robin, and Kid Flash meeting in the the Proto Team Titan origin and Brave the Bold number fifty four, uh, you know a few months earlier. So it's it's kind of weird that you know since Flash is there and and Batman and Robin are there, Kid Flash isn't. So. Maybe he couldn't get it. his His parents had him in, stuck in Blue Valley, I guess, or something. I don't know. <laughs> what I think is interesting is that, you know, when I read this story, and, and honestly, I think this is the first time I ever read the story all the way through uh, for this show, when Aqu- Aquaman... Oh, and a
1: shout-out to Rob for providing us with a copy of the story.
0: Oh, yeah. I was going to get to that at the end, but, oh. yeah. But, yes, thanks to Rob for, for saving the day on this one. Uh, so Rob provides us a copy of the story. To review. So Aquaman shows up and they're like, King Juvor's dead, they've elected you king. It's interesting because in later years it's revealed that Aquaman should be the king of Atlantis anyway because his mom was the queen. Right. And uh, But here apparently they haven't established that yet. Uh-huh. And I don't know exactly when they did. Rob, yeah, let us know. <laughs> Tumal, man, <laughs> he sure pulls a bait and switch. He's like, Want to be king? Oh, you will? Great, great. Now you got to get married. I mean, it's just like...
1: <laughs> I, I, I have yet to ev- ever understand this. The logic in this just makes me twitch when I read this because I'm like, okay, let's see. You're the king. That means you're the ruler of everybody. Change the freaking rule. Duh.
0: <laughs> I hereby, push the, hereby make that that rule of... I write, take it off the books. <laughs> I mean,
1: it's not that hard. I mean, when you're king, that means you're the ruler. That means you're the head.
0: Duh. It's good to be king.
1: Exactly. Or it should be. And you're right. The crown on his on Aquaman's head in this issue. Oh, honey, somebody needs to design better.
0: Yeah, I looks,
1: mean it looks be, it it looks worse than some of the Barbie crowns. Come on.
0: It, yeah, he looks a little. He looks more like he's you know, Aquaman the the car dealer or something. Like, come down to King Aquaman's car dealership. <laughs> We've got used cars. The prices are insane and outrageous. Or something. <laughs> The you know Aquaman and Aqualad take off to think about this, and they see Mira being chased by a monster. Uh, Mira had actually debuted in issue number eleven in September or October of sixty three, and then she returned in thirteen, and had been in every issue since. So she had you know become a member of the of the cast of the book. One thing that was kind of interesting is uh, the Mira and and Oceanus or Oceanus or however you would say it. They're constructs are very solid. They don't look like they're made of water, which I think later on you get more of a, they look more watery.
1: I think that was just, you know, at the beginning and then they, you know, fine tune things as they went along.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. The the most interesting thing about this story is how Mira just ditches her throne. (laughs) You know, she's, and her people are perfectly fine with it. you know. Maybe maybe she sucked as a queen. She's like...
1: Well, what kills me is it's not like she and Aquaman were engaged already or anything else. It's just like, you know, I really like you. I know we haven't made any commitment to, you, to each other. But I'm going to give up my position as queen because things might turn out better for us later. I'm like, what? Really? <laughs>
2: no.
0: She's all like, peace out, homies. i got to get me a man. <laughs> yes. I mean... <laughs> and, and and their people are like, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. You know.
1: <laughs> Again, that crap. She's bipolar, dudes. I mean, here they are sowing the seeds for her mental issues later.
0: Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: I'm serious. I mean, you
0: know, and 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 I know, I know they have they have done one thing that I will say about the new 52, and I really honestly don't have a whole lot of good things to say about the new 52. They have done a great job of making both Aquaman and Mira in the days immediately before the New 52 and in the New 52, very strong characters. They've done a great job with those two. They have erased a lot of the crap that accumulated on those characters, and especially Mira, because they did have her just be back crap insane several times. And, you know, I know they, you know, Aquababy died and everything, and after that, there was like no coming back. But, I mean, if you look at this, you're like, but... You know it's like man she's pretty irrational but this is how women were portrayed in comics back then. Unfortunately. I mean, you know they Oh they,
1: wait till we get to the Fantastic 4. You ain't even <laughs> Oh my gosh.
0: I mean, unfortunately it's just I mean it's it's like they make rash decisions and they just go with their heart and don't think things through and and uh and they
2: must be protected and rescued.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I think I'm gonna punch you after we get finished with this, just for just for kicks and giggles. I didn't
0: do anything. I didn't write this. Go punch Jack Miller. I don't know if he's probably not with us anymore. But Oceanus or Oceanus is a stalker. Just saying.
1: Oh my gosh! I mean, he's like, you know, Sorry, I'm gonna buddy. lose all my people and everything else. But you know, I'm gonna go get me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. You know he he robs her of her powers, mm-hmm. and you know by by going through covers, thanks to Mike's amazing world of of, of comics, I find out he doesn't she doesn't get him back until issue number twenty two. So she's without him for quite a while, you know. And then they rescue her, and and then of course Aquaman has to be very obtuse when he's telling Mary he can't marry her. He can't just say, "Look, real quick, I'm the king of Atlantis now. I have to marry an Atlantean. We can't get married. I'm sorry." No, he's got to like just. I can't marry you. Long pause. Long pause. Long pause. Long pause. Then she leaves. You know, <laughs> because if, if
1: oh, it would have. You know, if,
0: the story would ended right there. <laughs> if,
1: exactly. Yeah. Then
0: because then Because
1: it's in the script.
0: Because it's in it, or as Michael Bailey would say, "cause comics," right? Yeah.
1: So. <laughs> Logic glass here is about to blow her gaskets on yeah. this, <laughs> but oh, okay. uh, anyway,
0: it doesn't take long for Mirror to find some sloppy seconds in... Oceanus, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and and then when he attacks Atlantis, his torpedo men are really kind of disturbing looking. They're like,
1: I could say they look like something that Mira's probably going to have to have use for later. <laughs> I thought that as soon as I looked at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great Neptune. That's I mean, a frog. <laughs> Oh, I hadn't thought of that.
1: Oh, I did. Oh. But you know,
0: <laughs> wow, <laughs> Atlantean marital aids. Okay, uh, <sighs> while they uh, okay, moving on. While they're under attack, one of the Atlanteans grouses about where the king is. Where's our king? Where you know he's not here. This will plague Aquaman. For the rest of his printed history. Yes. Aquaman is, you know, he's the king, he's not the king, he's the king, he's not the king, he's the king again. Well, why is he not here? We're under attack, you know, blah, blah, blah. So that's, that's, yeah, that's an old chestnut, but it starts right here apparently. So here's my question for you. Okay. Do we think that Mira is playing along with Oceanus to keep Aquaman and Aqualad alive? Or does she just have a change of heart at the end? I read this like several times and I really can't say one way or the other.
1: Because she's so, you know,
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I kind of think she came up with the whole slave idea because, you know what, she was uber ticked. And she wanted to get a piece, you know, she wanted to take a strip of her flesh off of them. Mm. And so she, you know, that way, yeah, she's punishing them and everything else, but she's still keeping them alive, but she's still punishing them and sticking it to them. So you think it's a little bit of both? Oh, yeah. Okay. Going as a woman? Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know, yeah. Because you can tick me off to no end, and I know eventually I'll forgive you, but at the same time, I want to make you suffer (laughs) some.
0: Nice. Thanks. well you know one thing i Is mean it eventually forgive you if this was written now they would definitely if it was written they would probably change it a, a lot obviously but if it was written now they would write it in a way that you got the idea that oh my god he's going to kill him if i don't like drag this out right. and she would you know they'd make it more obvious that that she she'd be like overacting you know with this like Fine, make them make them toil and suffer and blah blah blah, and then there'd be well there wouldn't be a thought. Balloon. Well, it was
1: her idea to make them slaves. Remember? Yeah. Because I mean, he wanted
0: to kill him right. He then. wanted to
1: kill him right then, and she's like, "No, I, you know, I'm going to make them suffer." So
0: yeah.
1: And it's not one of those. Oh, I'm going to make them suffer for a couple hours or you know a day or whatever. It says it goes on for days and days. Yeah. So she really wanted to nail him to the wall.
0: Well, the thing with Silver Age comics is a lot of times, to make the story work, characters will do some really awful things to one another. Like, like any take any Superman comic from the 60s where he he pulls some kind of awful prank on his so-called friends to teach them a lesson. Or, you know, Lois goes out of her way to, you know, it's like, I want to know who Clark, if Clark is Superman, so I'm just going to destroy his whole life to, you know... If to prove it, you know, I mean, but at the end of the story, we're supposed to be okay with them again. You know, that stuff doesn't fly nowadays. Right. I mean, you can't, you can't forgive them in the, in a modern story the way you could. So Mira could have really been like at the last minute, oh, he really is going to kill him. I better step in here, you know, or she might've been playing along the whole time. Or like you said, it might've been a little bit of both, but I could never quite decide. I know.
1: I, I was unclear about that either, but I kind of think she didn't want him to die. Maybe she was giving herself time to figure out if she was going to forgive him or not.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, when Car the. Uh, the she, she
1: put him in the friend zone. She the friend zone. The-
0: <laughs> the, 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 uh, when the octopi. And I, look, I like saying the word octopi. When the octopi topple the oceanist, stat- oceanist statue. They, do they topple the Mira, the Mira statue? Or, or? I don't know,
1: because they just show the ocean. Yeah, so maybe. did they put
0: one up Aquaman later, or is there still just a statue of Mira there? You know, it kind of makes you wonder. Mm. She Mira really looks like she's ready to use that ray gun at the end. I mean, the look on her face, I mean...
1: I do say, though, in, throughout the whole thing, he, Nick Cardi draw, draws a wonderful woman. Mm. He needs to work on eyes. Mm. Not saying, I mean, I know I couldn't do any better because I can't draw a straight line, but her eyes look anime and freaky and they don't match with Aquaman and Aqualad and the rest of the Atlanteans her eyes her facial expressions are what? sorry Mm. it was a personal nitpick for me
0: disagree completely disagree he a lot of times artists will draw a woman's eyes bigger than a man's to you know that's just something to accentuate accentuate. she looks like
1: she was being goosed with a cattle prod
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to complain about any way that Nick Carty drew Mira because he draws her as a curvy, very, you know, that's my type of woman. You know me. I like the curvy women's. This
1: is good because look who you're married to. That's right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, thank goodness Aqualad has a brain. He solves the (laughs) big problem of the issue. You know, He cuts through all the melodrama and he's like, hey, you can make her a, a citizen of Atlantis and then marry her. You know, because she just... Course, he says she just helped save everybody, and I'm thinking, yeah, but she also just enslaved everybody for like Which, a month.
1: <laughs> here's the thing Uncle Man's like, Yes, I hereby make you an honorary citizen of Atlanta so that I, I can marry you. So he made a decree, he was the king, he did it. So, why didn't he just at the very beginning of the freaking story strike down the law that said he had to marry Atlanian <laughs> I
2: don't know. Logic glass, boom, <laughs> <Thun, thun, thun. laughs>
0: I, you I gave
1: me too much sugar at lunch. I okay. guess, I
0: guess. Uh, so we get the page, the last page, the, the Justice League show up. And, uh, you know, Superman's head is. Kurt Swann drop, drops by and draws Superman's head. Or they, they do a paste up because that's definitely not a Nick Carty Superman. That's a Kurt, Kurt Swan Superman.
1: Now, I'm, can I tell you, my, before we get to this next little blurb? Yeah, sure. Let me tell you what's wrong with this wedding. Okay. Okay, he was going to build her, Oceanus was going to build her a temple and statues and all these days, you know, oh, to have this wedding. But she marries Aquaman,
0: the man that she left her world for.
1: and She didn't even get a freaking dress. What the crap?
0: <laughs> That's true. She just mar- She's in her and, green flipper outfit.
1: Yeah, and he's, I mean, Aquaman's just in his old regular everyday duds. Oh, well.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, come on. It's supposed to be a little special. He didn't even
0: have his crown on, does he? No. Yeah, he doesn't have his crown I on. I mean Of course he looks like a I have man. an
1: issue with that. she just got a little fail. Woohoo. Yeah. No. no.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, nowadays.
1: And they had time enough to get everybody to come in, you know, Wonder Man, not one Wonder Man. Wonder Woman and Batman and everybody came in for the wedding. Can they not make a dress? I mean, you know, come on.
0: If Green Lantern were there, he could have made her address entirely but he wasn't there.
1: No, but he was busy off dealing with his backcrap woman, Carol Ferris. So
0: <laughs> that's there you right. go. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, it's interesting because nowadays, whenever there's anything that could, could possibly require the, the hero to change their costume or to be in a like a themed outfit that's similar to their costume, they do it. You know, like you, like right now, I'm thinking she could have wore a dress similar to her, to her. Uh, what's that? The the anime. Uh, what's it called? The anim- Amerikami or oh, whatever yeah, it's, yeah, the I'm anime uh, versions of the super heroines. Uh, she could have worn something like that. You know, Aquaman nowadays.
1: Anything else? Aquaman
0: nowadays would probably have that armor like he wears in the Again, video game.
1: Anything <laughs> else? <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. Or a, or a green or an orange and green tux, he <laughs> looked look like Dumb and Dumber. he
1: looked look like Green Bay Packers.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or the Dolphins. You know, I think uh, it's it's kind of interesting because they had a, a you know the way comic time goes, it's, it, it you know Aquaman I think was a bi monthly book, so uh, eleven months later, Aqua Baby debuts. Mm-hmm. So if you go, you know, I don't know how you figure that out where it's bi monthly and this and that, but It didn't take them long, you know. They must have had a productive honeymoon or, you know, something, you know, so.
1: Hey, it's 11 months. It's not like she was knocked up when they got married.
0: That's true. So, there you go. That's true. As far as I know, Aquaman is the first superhero wedding uh, featuring a title character. Like I said, Hawkman and Hawker are already married. Uh, Ralph and Sue Dibney were married in an issue of The Flash before this. But Ralph never had his ongoing book. Mm. So, you know, despite the inherent... Silver Age wonkiness, which, you know, that's part of the course. I, I really did like this issue quite a bit. I mean, I, I I think it was a lot of fun. The art's just flat gorgeous. And uh, I, I really do think that Nick Carty, it's, it's interesting because...
1: Aside from the eye issue for me, but that's, again, that's my deal.
0: Yeah, you're the only person that ever thought that, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it's interesting. For some reason, I never thought of this before, but I'm thinking, you know, Nick Carty... In the 70s, after Neil Adams had kind of mostly moved on, Nick Carty became the cover artist at D.C. Neil Adams was the cover artist and Nick Carty was. So you did get Nick Carty drawing everybody, at least on the cover. But it's interesting to think, why didn't, it's surprising, why didn't they put him on a higher tier book? You know, why wasn't he drawing the Justice League? You know, because Mike Sikowski, there were a lot of fans back then that did not like his artwork. And people appreciate it now because it's kind of wonky, but if Justice League was drawn by somebody like him, I mean, I can't imagine how good it could have sold and he stayed on books like Aquaman and Teen Titans that were kind of on the periphery mm-hmm. of you know what was the top title, so it's kind of interesting but uh but I did enjoy it i I thought the story was fun i mean it's you know there's there's just there's just things in Silver Age Comics there there's a there's a there's a very plot driven drive a plot driven drive that makes a whole lot of sense, but they're so they're so plot driven that the idea of how characters probably really would react doesn't often come into play and then sometimes you're so you kind of gotta leave that at the door and just see and if, see
1: I'm one of these people I can't do that
0: yeah but i i think but but uh you know and d c especially gets a lot of flack for being overly plot driven and, and and you know not having as much character like as when Marvel come in and stuff, but as we'll get to in a minute. D C wasn't the only one that had very weird, wonky plot devices thrown in to move stuff along. So uh so you got anything else on this one?
1: No, except every woman should get a dress if they're gonna have a big wedding.
0: That's right. If the Justice League's gonna show up Go get a wedding dress, right?
1: Yes. <laughs> if you've got time enough to invite all your buddies and pull them in, then by golly, you got time for a dress.
0: Say yes to the dress. <laughs> you make me watch that sometimes.
1: <laughs> it comes with the boobs, okay? <laughs> Deal with it.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, we'll take a break, <laughs> and then when we come back, we'll tackle the wedding of Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl. Oh, <laughs> to decide, it is I, Darkseid, I command you to listen to the Who's
2: Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends, so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Our Man. who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC, Who's Who? Hey, hey, hey. What?
0: What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle. Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also
2: part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water Podcast.
0: Okay, we're back, and uh, this time we're going to jump into Fantastic Four Annual Number 3 from 1965. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, we know it uh, came out on sale August 1st, 1965. Cover was by Jack King Kirby and Mike Esposito, and the title of the story is Bedlam at the Baxter Building. Written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, inked by Vince Colletta, lettered by Artie Simek, catered by the Bullpen Gang. In his castle in Lotveria, Dr. Doom reads the newspaper headline, proclaiming this as the day that his enemy Reed Richards, a.k.a. Mr. Fantastic, will wed Sue Storm, the Invisible Girl. Doom sets out to destroy their happy day, of course, and activates his emotion charger. Its rays will... Find the flames of hatred in the hearts of every evil menace in existence. I
1: like the air quotes on that.
0: Yeah. So says Doom. Anyway. At the Baxter Building, HQ of the FF, media and celebrities flock to the spectacle. Villains also flock. Soon the FF are attacked by the likes of the Puppet Master, the Red Ghost and his Super Apes, and the Mole Man and his Subterranean Army. Luckily, folks like Nick Fury and his agents of SHIELD, the X-Men and Doctor Strange are in attendance to help out Reed and Ben Grimm, the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. As the emotion charger continues to hum, more baddies crawl out of the woodwork to cause mayhem, including the Mandarin, the Black Knight, Kang, the Mad Thinker's awesome android, the Grey Gargoyle, and the Super Scroll. It's the latter's battle with Thor that draws the attention of Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch, who heads off to protect his sister's big day. Having comforted his wife, Reed takes off with Ben to join the battle downtown. It's then that Daredevil intercepts a Hydra truck, containing a bomb and headed straight toward the Baxter building. The man without fear commandeers the vehicle and heads it on a new course. The rest of the Avengers assemble and join the fray, with Captain America taking on the Cobra, the Executioner, and the Enchantress because Captain America's freaking awesome. Hawkeye takes out Mr. Hyde, and his life is subsequently saved by Spider-Man. More bad guys than I'm going to bother mentioning show up, and soon it's the Marvel version of a WWE all-star brawl. Iron Man takes out the awesome android while Quicksilver makes short work of the human Top. Daredevil inadvertently stops an Atlantean invasion by Atuma, it's not Atuma, when he crashes the Hydra bomb into the harbor, decimating the undersea troops. But the melee goes on with no end in sight until Reed is whisked away by the all-seeing Watcher, who takes him to his other-dimensional domain. As always, the Watcher pledges not to interfere, but he lets Reed loose in a room full of devices that just might end the never-ending battle. Picking a large device that may either save the day or destroy it, Reed is transported back to Earth. There he activates the awesome machine and finds it to be just what he had hypothesized, a subatomic time displacer which sends the villains back to where they were before the attack, with no memory of their great battle.
1: How convenient.
0: <laughs> Thank you, church lady. The Watcher's Miracle Machine disappears, and Reed surmises that the man who started all this, the man he knows to be doomed, will also forget this ever happened. The danger passed, the heroes gather up the groom, and head back to the Baxter Building. There, amongst the greatest assemblage of heroes this side of an All-Star Squadron pig roast. The happy couple finally say, I do. There is only one minor interruption left. Fury and his agents have to kick out two wedding crashers who insist on coming in. Stan and Jack bow revenge in their next issue. So, the cover on this one is just this giant, this giant drawing of every Marvel character in existence at that point. It's not the greatest design by any means, but if any kid could resist picking that up in 1965, they didn't have a pulse. Mm. I mean, you know. And it's funny. It says the wedding of Reed and Sue in the middle, but it's, you know, it's, you know. Well, even
1: the title of it is Bedlam at the Baxter Building. It doesn't say anything about wedding in the title.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know. Well, they were underselling the marriage because they had mostly a boy audience.
1: I realize that. And it's
0: like this, like, Yes, they're going to get married, but it's going to be a mashup. One night only, Sunday, 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 at the Baxter Building. See the Marvel Universe collide. Sorry.
1: Mm. <laughs> I'm rubbing my temples <laughs> with the ensuing headache from that.
0: <laughs> in the essential copy that, that we read from, uh, the art looks really rough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coletta barely spots any blacks in the whole story. And his line work never varies. He would do some really good work on Kirby's pencils in Thor, but his FF left much to be desired, and this issue, they I think... That looks
1: rough. Yeah. I mean, that, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it
0: really did. This issue is probably the worst-looking of his run, and it's probably the most important. So it's it's just a shame, you know, that Joe Sennett, like, started on the Fantastic Four, the issue after this, and it's a shame he didn't start, like, one issue before. You gotcha. Know? One thing that, that uh, several books that I've read, and including Mark Alexander's uh Lee and Kirby, The Wonder Years, and uh, the Fantastic Cast podcast, which uh, our buddy Andy Leland hosts with uh, Stephen Lacey, they pointed out that in this story at the beginning, the way Kirby draws doom, he's got his hands like out in front of his face, like, I don't know what to do with my hands. No, uh, but he's, he's got his hands in front of his face, Okay, Ricky Bobby. Yeah. Stan Lee just totally ignores this. And Kirby was illustrating the fact that Doom's hands were mangled by the thing in his last appearance. Mm. I mean, Ben got a hold of him and just, like, crushed his hands inside his armored gloves. So Mm. he couldn't do... That's one reason why he's doing all this by remote control. And he kicks a door open with his foot. I mean, Kirby even draws him kicking a door open with his foot. So this was a case where the Marvel style of working didn't work out. Mm. And that happens quite a bit. And as the books, as Lee and Kirby grow apart, it, both uh, you know, both physically because he moves to uh, California, and also they just grow apart as, as friends and colleagues and start to have more issues with one another, it got worse and worse. But this is an early example of that. You get other non-Marvel super characters that appear. Patsy Walker... And her friend Hetty had books at the time. And uh, they name-dropped Millie the model who had a book.
1: Well, they even say that they're be ready for all the name-dropping we're about to do because boom, boom, here we go. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm just like, okie-dokie. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is is one issue. You know, Stan...
1: It's almost one of those cases. I almost wonder if this is like, okay, if we want to keep our patent or whatever, our rights to a certain character, they have to appear in print. Hey, we'll put them in this issue.
0: Well, it could be, but I think. I mean,
1: well, I'm not saying that was the case, but that seems like you know they put every single character they could possibly think of mm. in this issue.
0: That mm. yeah, could be, could be one thing, and I know you're, I know you're going to love this.
1: Uh.
0: <laughs> but despite her force field powers, Sue has to be saved by Ben when the Super Eight. Super Eight. She is attack. one of the
1: most powerful characters. In the Marvel Universe, and then she has to be safe because she's a girl, and, oh, she can't join the battle. We can't let them in the building because that's where Sue and Alicia are. My super powerful wife. What? <laughs> what the frick? Come on!
0: Uh, I know. I Actually, that didn't really change a lot until John Byrne came along. He changed I that.
1: realize that, but it still just makes me just want
0: to <laughs> <laughs> Uh. Yeah. They, you know, they would, and and listening to the fantastic cast and reading my essential volumes, like every so many issues, they'll have a very progressive moment with Sue where she'll save everybody. She'll be the one that comes in and save the saves the day. But then in the very next issue, all she'll do is read. What does this mean? You know, and and you know she'll you know put a bubble around herself while a big monster's beating on it, and then. You know, Ben or Johnny or Reed has to come up and save her from She's it. She's
1: supposed to be a scientist in her own right.
0: Well, not in the comics, really. Well... That's more of a movie thing, but... Still... Yeah, I know. When Doctor Strange, he, ban- he comes in and he banishes uh, the Red Ghost and the Super Apes to some alien dimension, is, is that legal? What, what,
1: what happened? I mean, <laughs> you know, I understand punishing them and stuff, but... Oh, my.
0: He was a commie! I guess he's a
1: red ghost. Yeah,
0: that's right. So the super, the super scroll is flying a ship, and he doesn't display any of his Fantastic Four powers. I mean, that's his whole shtick. You know, he's got all the powers of the Fantastic Four. Right, right. So did did Kirby forget what his thing was? Because he was known to do that from time to time. It makes you wonder. You know, probably the best part of this whole issue is uh, is Daredevil. The blind guy commandeers a truck with a massive explosion on it.
1: Well, before we get to that, though, about Daredevil. Okay. Why on earth, when they have to put a pause on the wedding, Reed tells Daredevil to go out, because he's their lawyer, to tell him that there is a pause in the wedding ceremony. What? What, what yeah. does having a lawyer do? <laughs> What special power is that? I, as a lawyer, have the power to be an announcer. Here you go. Yeah,
0: it's like, I'm legally, I, Matt, I'm Matt Murdock, defense attorney, I'm legally obligated to let you all know that the wedding will be postponed indefinitely until there's...
1: I mean, he says, as you're, you know, because you're our lawyer. <laughs>
0: what? Well, he has power of attorney over the Fantastic Four, I, I guess.
1: guess, I mean...
0: Yeah, I didn't write that. That's a good point.
1: And when he walks up to them, you know, all of a sudden, you know, when they went and saved Alicia and Sue and all that junk, they were in nice tuxes. He walks up to Matt Murdock and suddenly they're in costume.
0: Yeah, I don't, yeah.
1: I mean, from panel to panel.
0: Unstable molecules. I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't know. I mean,
1: Ben even is down to his little shorty things. I mean,
0: what? (laughs) He didn't want to ruin his tux. Getting in a fight, I guess, but...
1: I mean, yeah. come
0: on. <laughs> yeah, it's from one panel to the next. You're right. Yeah. But so Murdoch turns into Daredevil, of course, because he tells he tells uh, Foggy and uh, and Karen to go tell the people. Like, Reed tells him, go and answer to everybody. And then it's like, okay, I will. And then he's like, hey, Foggy, go do this. <laughs> and he t- it's like, so it's even like the power of attorney and the power of the attorney's partner. You know, it's like. He he runs he runs off, which I guess he was an equal partner, but you know. And then and then he runs off, turns to Daredevil, and he jumps into the Hydra truck, and he drives it through downtown Manhattan. The blind guy
1: with super senses. I don't really actually have an issue with that. Well,
0: I, I don't know about him drive driving a car though, a truck with a bomb on it. He
1: <laughs> flips and does all that crap. He'd be all right.
0: Okay i don't know spider-man's got one a one panel appearance and it is most definitely a photostat of Ditko art from the cover of amazing spider-man number 19 which would probably a good thing because all hail jack kirby but man he never could draw spider-man sorry if Ditko wasn't inking him he couldn't draw spider-man then atuma it's not atuma i gotta say it every time is said to intercept the ray meant for namor uh, and also Stan informs us that the Hulk didn't get zapped because they were out of range. So they were too far out of range. So I guess Doom just set the ray for downtown Manhattan. But
1: I don't know. I mean, all these people come up and everything else. I mean, if he couldn't, if his hands were crippled from typing, what did he do? Have voice recognition software <laughs> that said, okay, I want you to get the Hulk and Neymar and this and that. And, you know, all these people. Did he name them all or what? I, I don't mean, know. I mean, How did that work out?
0: I mean, wouldn't there have been like you know, it just got the superhero super villains? Wouldn't all the criminals in New York have converged on you know, or even slightly irritable people have converged <laughs> on the Baxter Building? I don't know.
1: What always kills me about in comic books is like on page thirteen of this, you know, Cap is fighting, and he's like. Oh, What is her name? Enchantress is giving advice. He's faster, more agile, but you are more powerful. Smashing before he can get away. Well, you know, I'm giving you advice. You know, while you're doing this fight, let me tell you how to fight. And the other, I, I don't understand that. Let me tell you, that's like the whole baddie saying, "Here's my evil plan, point by point by point." On on page three, appendix three. Don't forget this part. I'm like, come on. <laughs>
0: Uh, I did, I did kind of like it that the, the executioner can never even land a hand on Cap. That's cool. That yeah. just, Cap comes off as, like he always should, as the most capable person in the whole story. Oh, so, yeah. So I like that.
2: I did
1: want to ask this one thing. When um, Enchantress says Hawkeye's bow is bewitched, is that a fact or what?
0: No, I think she's just saying that he's... Uh, you know he he has almost supernatural uh, ability with with his bow.
1: Okay, I, well I didn't yeah. know it was. That's the way I was. read it. I don't. Okay. As
0: far as I know, it wasn't bewitched because he was a. Uh, you know
1: that was just his natural. Yeah. Proudest. He was just yeah. so
0: good at it that it it's almost like he was had magical powers. That's what I got out of it.
1: Well, I mean, I just didn't know because I honestly don't read Marvel a whole lot, and this is one of the reasons why. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, Daredevil taking out a whole Atlantean invasion fleet without knowing it's pretty awesome. Oh, but it is. He like... just like crashes the truck in the harbor and it just wipes them out.
1: That is cool.
0: <laughs> you know, of course the Watcher shows up and he won't interfere but he'll bring you into a room full of weapons.
1: <laughs> How is that not interfering? <laughs> I, th- I mean, that's just kind of like you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Hey,
0: over here. Are you going to help me out? I can't help you out. Look over help you <laughs> I mean you know
1: either you're in or you're out
0: you know of course Reed knows his Kirby tech on site he knows what he's picking up you know because he you know he messes with it all the time so know. Oh, okay. Uh, so then you know the, the panel of the panel of all the villains getting sucked into the the machines kind of weird I mean it really looks like he's sucking them in of course he's displacing them in time but I guess it was kind of one of those cases where we need a quick visual to wrap this thing up and so it looks like there's, like, a tornado of villains being It reminds of me of
1: a Tom and Jerry cartoon. If they have an Electrolux vacuum and they're, like, sucking in the scenery, it's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: it kind of does, yeah. And, of course, the things, like, attach to reed's forehead, which is kind of weird, but...
1: Maybe it's a prototype for Ant-Man, you know.
0: Maybe. Right he didn't show up in this, I don't think. I never... But that's what
1: it made me think with the things coming out of his forehead.
0: Yeah, I just thought of that. He wasn't in this. So, unless I'm overlooking it. But uh, So Reed, Johnny, and Ben start out in their tuxes, but by the time they actually get to the wedding itself, they're in their Fantastic Four costumes and they don't change back.
1: Exactly. Hello. Again, special day. You have time for to get the tux. Get the tux. Make, you know, I'm sorry, but when you get married... And I mean, you and I did not have a big wedding, but it's a special day. You're pledging your life to this person. Don't show up in your work clothes, dummy.
0: Yeah, it's like a mechanic showing up in his coveralls or something. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know,
1: come on. Uh,
0: yeah, the the famous kiss panel is the best in the whole book. You know, Coletta was a was a old romance comic pro, so you know he didn't skimp on that one. I mean, right. It, it's a nice. It's a very nice panel, and it shows. How, you know, I don't know if you know a whole lot about Vince Coletta. And he was capable, he was a, I will say this, Vince Coletta was a fine artist. He was a fine comic book artist, inker, but he was notorious for being one of the fastest in the business. But notorious is the word we use because he was known to erase details, people, I mean, heads sometimes. <laughs> I mean, he would erase stuff that the artist drew and not ink it just to get the jobs done.
1: In a timely in fashion. In a timely
0: fashion. I mean, they would yeah. bring anything to him. So it's it's interesting, uh, you know, that, that he drew such a important issue in, in Marvel history, really. Because, I mean, th- there had been other books where the, the Marvel... This might be the very first Marvel huge crossover where almost all the characters are together. I mean, they would all had... The Avengers had been in the FF's book. The X Men had been in the FF's book, but I don't know if everybody had been all together at once, mm-hmm. and all the villains. So this is like you know your prototypical you know Secret Wars, Crisis on Infinite Earths, things like that. This is this is you know it's one issue, it's not a huge miniseries, but it's got that huge giant scope, you know. So it's kind of a shame that he phoned it in, but th- this is this is another one. This is this is a lot of fun. It definitely gives you a lot of bang for your buck, but. Like I said before, if, if if we'd only had Senate ink this one, but but one thing I will point out, and 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 I didn't put this in my notes, but you know I, I've read several things. You know I'm a more of a DC guy than a Marvel guy, but I but I do of course like Marvel, and I appreciate Marvel, and and what, and I will never deny that 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 Lee Kirby, and 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 Lee Ditko and, and those guys, they brought. Nuance of character into comics, superhero comics wasn't there before. The characters developed personalities. Uh, you know, they argued back and forth. You know, Justice League stories from the early '60s, the word balloons could have been interchanged at any point. You couldn't do that in the Avengers or the Fantastic Four. And I mean, that right there shows you what they brought to the table. But they were not above wonky comic booky. Uh, Plot devices, because there's plenty of them in this one, (laughs) so it's not like they were the height of realism either, and they shouldn't be, it's a superhero comic, you know, if you want realism, then go outside, you know, but to to me, but I I just want to make that point, you know, I I read that a lot, that that, uh, you know, the DC comics were just so far removed from reality, and this and that, and as far as characterization and stuff, yes, I would agree with that, but it's the actual plots, and goings-on in the stories, no, that, there wasn't that much of a difference, honestly. And in fact, a lot of times the DC plots were a lot more well-thought-out, at least. Uh, but the Marvel made up for it with the great characterization, you know, so it's you get six and one and a half dozen of the other. Uh, Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross, they weave the wedding into the Marvel series, and there's a great, you know, full-page painting of Reed and Sue Kissing with the the Marvel heroes in the pews of the of the well, it looks like the, it looks like a church, but it's the Baxter Building because they're in the Baxter Building. But there's pews, but uh, and they even put the Beatles like hidden in there uh, because you know it was 1965. The Beatles would have been there. But uh, it's it's interesting because they this at the same time that these this issue was coming out, the first big Sentinel storyline was going on in the X Men. And they they weave the mutant hysteria in with the wedding. And in fact, the character Phil Sheldon, he gets uh, the lead character that, that that Marvel is told through. Marvels is told through. He actually gets involved with all the crazy mutant uh, witch hunting and everything. The people, the riots, and and everything. And he looks down at a newspaper, and, he, and it says, you know, Reed and Sue get married, and he's like, my God, that was this afternoon. I mean, and it just shows you. How, it's it's a really just, you know, it always sticks in my head. How they juxtapose those, the happiest of happy days and then this awful event. You know, it's actually really, really powerful the way they do that. But uh, that's all I got. What do you got?
1: Well, just one, this is just one last little thing. You know, they're in the, they're having the wedding and everything. This is right, the panel right before the kiss. And this goes back to, why on earth is Iron Man in costume? In the pew.
0: Because <laughs> they just ran over to the and had the wedding because he came in as Tony Stark, didn't he? Originally. But
1: And again, I mean, we saw how his suit forms around him. Why didn't he unform it around
2: him in there? I don't he
0: know just... if it did at that point. I don't think he had the suitcase armor yet. So he might not have been so he must have ran from the from the Baxter building, got his armor on, came back and he's like, I ain't taking this shit off. I'm just gonna go on a wedding like this. <laughs>
1: The other thing about it is everybody else is looking as Reed and Sue exchange vows and everything else, but then you've got Nick Fury over here in the corner looking at the reader, kind of like, yeah, I'm letting you see this private moment. Behave yourself.
0: Yeah. You know? (laughs) Or maybe he's looking out for, you know, wedding crashers like Stan and Jack, which uh, it's kind of, I think it's kind of neat because the Stan and Jack bit... It's kind of meta, but it really works within the Marvel Universe because they were known to be creating comics based on the Fantastic Four's adventures. Mm -hmm. So they could be there in story as well as a wink-wink to the reader that they're there. So it it works both ways. So I thought it was kind of neat. You never see their faces there. Mm -hmm. They're in top hats and long coats, but it's neat. So that was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. It's Silver Age fun, but I, you know...
1: And her dress is in keeping with the time the pillbox had, you know, Jackie Jackie Kennedy and everything, so...
0: Yeah, it's it's nice. You know, Kirby knew how to draw women, so... And Coletta was no slouch. It,
1: and she wears a wedding dress to their wedding. She's dressed up nice.
0: <laughs> and she's no queen. hmm <laughs> Well, Mara did have a crown. She always had a crown on. So we'll say that. Well, we're going to take another break, and then we're going to jump into... Uh, Tales of the Teen Titans number 50 for the wedding of Donna Troy and Terry Long. The Fantastic Arse is your guide to the Fantastic Four from the beginning of the Marvel Age of Comics in 1961 onwards. Each week, Steve Lacey and Andy Leyland cover every
2: issue, spin-off, guest appearance and cameo, and more.
0: And in 2015, we begin our journey through the decade that tastes for God. The 1970s. Join us as we take a look at... The departure of Jack Kirby and Stan Lee. The Cree Scroll War The arrival of Marvel Team-Up Bill
2: Murray as the Human Torch
0: Creators including Roy Thomas, George Perez, Marv Wolfman, Jerry Conway, Rich Buckler and John Byrne And of course, Marvel 2-in-1 All this and more at ffcast.libsyn.com and on iTunes and Stitcher
2: The Fantastic Cast Insert
0: catchy tagline here Wait, what? Okay, so we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about Tales of the Teen Titans number 50, as we said. It was released February, uh, no, wait a minute. Its uh, date is February 1985, on sale date November 8th, 1984. Covered by George Perez, and the title of the story is We Are Gathered Here Today. The uh, credits read thusly in the comic, Marv Wolfman, writer, co-plotter. George Perez, penciler, co-plotter. Mike DiCarlo and Dick Giordano, inkers. Lettered by John Costanza, colored by Adrian Roy. Special thanks to Carol Flynn for the designs of the gowns of the bridal party, edited by Marv Wolfman and George Perez.
1: On Paradise Island, the Amazons wonder why Queen Hippolyta has been in the temple of Athena all day. Opinions differ on why the Queen would ask for such a private audience. Despite these questions, the Sisters of the Island add their prayers to the Queen's.
0: In the East Hampton District of New York, at the palatial mansion of Steve Dayton, fifth richest man in the world, a wedding celebration is being assembled. Garfield Logan, a.k.a. the teen Titan known as Changeling, is the master of ceremonies, guiding the various workers and entertainers to run about his adopted father's huge estate. Vernon Quester, Dayton's man Friday, is continually surprised at the young hero's skill at coordinating such an event.
1: Elsewhere, Joe Wilson, the titan known as Jericho, paints a portrait of the couple to be Donna, Wonder Girl Troy, and her betrothed, Terry Long. In the extra-dimensional realm of Azrath, another titan, Raven, laments her demonic heritage and how the ever-increasing influence of her father, Trigon, makes it impossible to attend the happy day with her friends.
0: Among the guests arriving for the wedding are Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg, and his friend Sarah Sims. Victor worries how the non-superguest will react to his strange appearance. Meanwhile, a nervous Donna is visited by her adopted sister, Diana Wonder Woman Prince, who helps to calm her nerves. Shortly, Donna's lifelong friend and teammate, Dick Nightwing Grayson, arrives to walk Donna down the aisle.
1: Amongst friends and family, both Titanic and and not, Donna and Terry are wed. After the vows are exchanged, the various wedding party members and guests mingle. Questar finds Aqualad and Aquagirl recharging their Atlantean powers by skinny-dipping in the pool. Reserve Titans contemplate normal lives away from costumes and criminals.
0: The Titan known as Lilith, Diana, and Questor all notice a strange sound or presence behind an otherwise innocent door. Dick Grayson manages to fully reconcile with his mentor and former partner, Bruce Batman Wayne. When Victor Stone's appearance is not noticed by any of the guests... Gar relates how his stepfather is using his powerful Mento helmet to cast an illusion on Cyborg. Initially offended, Victor storms off, but soon realizes his friend was only trying to make the day perfect for the newlyweds, and apologizes.
1: The mysterious presence behind the door is revealed to be none other than Hippolyta, granted a brief excursion from Paradise Island by Athena to visit her adopted daughter on her wedding day. Both Donna and especially Terry are awed by this and Terry even manages to make the Queen question her people's stance on men. She grants them her blessing.
0: The rest of the wedding goes off without incident and the current Titans gift guard with a medal reading Master Caterer and Steve Dayton's private jet Donna and Terry fly off to Greece for their honeymoon. So the cover on this one is, is very unusual for a superhero comic book. There's no spandex, there's no capes, This looks like something you'd find on an indie slice of life comic. You've got the wedding party and then the ghosted headshots of Donna's family and Terry's family and then the original and newer Titans and their dates. Their
1: immediate friends and family.
0: Right. Uh, Hippolyta Cyborg and Starfire are the only fantastical elements that would make you say hmm. You know, I mean you've got overweight guys in tuxedos. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's not something you're going to see on a cover. Uh, You know. Very often on a superhero comic. In fact, Raven is the only Titan that shows up in costume at all, and she can't attend, so the wedding's spandex-free inside too. Right. This is the unless
1: you count Gar's tux.
0: Whoa. Right. Well, actually, you know, that's one thing. I I mean, I, I hate to even say this because I love George Perez is probably pound for pound my favorite comic book artist of all time, and he's a great costume designer. But I do feel like. These tuxes and stuff are just a little... Do you think they're slightly outdated for 1984? No. You don't think so? No. Okay.
1: At that time, it was all frou-frou and everything else. I mean, honestly, it might have been a little bit ahead of its time.
0: Mm, Because, I I mean, I know I had two of my cousins got married in like 80 and 81. And so...
1: you have to think, too, that they, where we live, it's kind of... We're about five years
2: behind.
0: So, well, that might be true, too. But I don't know. I just thought maybe the... Well, and, and honestly, the, the tuxes might be blue more just so they'll show up better in a comic versus uh-huh. being black. I mean, Terry's kind of rocking the Sean Connery, James Bond tux. Right. Except for the frilly shirt, so...
1: Which would have been perfectly in keeping for the 80s. Yeah, so... so.
0: It, yeah, so maybe not. Okay. I'm, you know, go by you because, you know, I have no fashion sense, so... Uh, you do okay, baby.
1: <laughs> I just go with you when you buy clothes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh this comic is the antithesis of the, the fantastic four way.
1: Exactly, exactly. Oh my gosh, yes.
0: Yeah, because you know, and, and Wolfman and Perez, they wanted to pull off a, a comic book wedding without all the supervillains attacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the, the FF is the, the prototypical superhero wedding. Right. This is the, the opposite, the polar opposite of it, where there's no, almost no superheroic elements to it beyond what there needs to be to, to you know, because Hippolyta is Donna's adopted mother, so it makes right. sense that she would show up. And then, of course, the Titans members. Uh, There's a lot of little Easter eggs. The the lighting guy looks a lot like George Lucas. Mm -hmm. uh, Things like that. Um, Quester was a supporting character throughout the series. When you saw Steve Dayton's mansion, you saw him. He always acted like he had a stick up his butt. And he was constantly getting on guard uh, for being irresponsible. So this kind of turned their relationship around quite a bit here. This issue was actually published during the first year of the Baxter series experiment. That was an experiment where DC took their most popular titles and they launched a new volume of it, direct sales only. So they did it with uh, Legion of Superheroes, Titans, and later on they did it with The Outsiders. And basically what they did was they kept the newsstand comic. For a year they, they they had two new titles, two titles with new material. And they basically set the Baxter series or direct only title in the future. So the current issue of the new Teen Titans, the new series, was on issue number five and it was at the end of the whole Trigon takes over, Raven, you know, grows an extra set of eyes and turns red and all that. So this is actually it's coming out of the same month, but this is before that. So it was kinda really strange and it and it, as a fan who didn't have access to a comic book shop and I don't know, I just never thought about trying to subscribe. It kind of put me off, honestly. It felt like I was getting screwed out of getting to the read story line, what yeah. was what was going on. So, I think, and ultimately, it was kind of the first middle finger to the newsstand. Yeah. That, you know, and I think that ended up, comics ended up shooting themselves in the foot with that. But, it was just wrong-headed. But, anyway... So, we see Steve Dayton, you know, he's uh, Mento, the Freshmaker.
1: Can you explain to me how he's the stepfather of Gar? I was very confused by that. Um,
0: without going, the rough version, and there's holes in my Doom Patrol knowledge, but uh, basically, uh, Gar showed up in uh, Doom Patrol. He had a, 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 a very evil guardian, a guy named Galtry, I think was his name. He was a jerk. And, and really, just kind of cruel and mean to, to Gar, and he had those powers from his, his his parents. They were they were scientists in the jungle, and
1: right, I know yeah. that part. Oh, okay,
0: but, yeah. okay, okay. Well, so eventually, uh, the Doom Patrol get into it with uh, Galtry, and they basically take Gar away from him. And and Steve Dayton Mento married Rita Farr, the Elastigirl, mm-hmm. and they adopted him. So, I was
1: just trying to figure out the whole stepfather thing. That's what threw me. Well, they
0: me. kept saying he really should not be should be called his adopted father, not his stepfather.
1: That's what threw yeah, me. Yeah, I don't know okay. why they used that's... that
0: term or foster father, but they did use that term and I never have quite understood okay, that.
1: that's what I was confused yeah, it's, about.
0: Yeah, I don't think okay. that was quite the term they should have used, but they did use it. He was always kind of an unstable character. He was like basically obsessed with with Rita Farr and became a superhero he used his money, his fortune and his scientific knowledge and his company to basically make himself a superhero oh. to win her affection. Uh-huh. So he was kind of a unstable guy to begin with. And then when the doom patrol died, you know, he was out searching for him and he kind of went back crap and he went back and forth between, you know, how stable he was. So it's, uh, it's it, it was and he ended up going really bat crap later on after this storyline and yeah it was kind of bad but here he seems to be battling alcoholism and as well as depression so
1: okay well i just was
0: no no wondering about that term I was, yeah you know Donna's step family and, and several other characters from, from who is donna troy that we covered are seen here the old lady from the the orphanage and and uh, uh, Miss Cassidy was her name Cassidy. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Yeah. I think Omira Cassidy or something like that. That's just off the top of my head. I didn't write it down because I forgot. Uh,
1: I wonder if the mother who adopted her but wanted to keep her house more was there.
0: Yeah, she was. She's the one that's there. That's she's on the cover. That those are stepdad and her and her, her adopted mom. Her adopted stepdad or adopted mom are up in the they're right above Dick, mm. right there. So that's them. Yeah. Yeah,
1: the one who wanted to keep her house more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of all your logic last moments, I think that was the worst because you just like, oh my god, I never even thought of that. And that story is held up so high, and I now I cannot think of it without it's like, oh my god, she really did want to keep that house more than she wanted to keep her kid, because she wouldn't have been in the same house.
2: Exactly. Maybe
0: if they said she was able to. One line that says, I was able to buy the house back later, but then it's like, why would you want to live in a house, you know, like that? I yeah. don't I don't mm-hmm. know. If we're going too far afield. but
1: Okay, sorry.
0: Uh, the wedding gown designer, Phoenicia Banu, Beno- is drawn to look like Perez's then-new wife, Carol, who's he, who, whom he's still married to. She is a fashion designer. She really did design the gowns in the comic, and she also designs Perez's famous Hawaiian shirts.
1: I have to say, I mean, in this, I mean, I, like... Chris we said earlier I love to watch you know say yes to the dress I love that kind of stuff even though I'm not a girly girl there's still something about a wedding dress that the woman in me is just like this is such a beautiful job I love the dresses the dress of Donna's dress the wedding party dresses they are just absolutely gorgeous hats off to you Miss Miss Carol I mean you did an awesome job you Mm -hmm. really did
0: yeah and it And there's just enough of that, she's kind of got that Greek flavor, Mm -hmm. just enough of it to her dress, but without, you know, going overboard. Exactly. It's
1: a nod to it without being...
0: Telegraphing, I'm from Paradise Island, you know. Yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly. (laughs) To people that don't need to know that. Although, Donna, I never, Donna never, what's one thing in the new Teen Titans that, you know, and and I think maybe we were starting to, it was ahead of its time, and maybe we were starting to get to that point where secret identities were kind of being left behind in comics. But, you know, Donna never... She never wore a mask. She didn't wear glasses even like Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. And then she worked with Starfire as a model. And Corey Anders was... You know, Cory Ander became Cory Anders the model. And did they not notice her giant alien pupil eyes? Yeah, I mean, th- true. You know. I mean, well, maybe they never noticed her eyes. You know, I mean, <laughs>
1: That you got hit for.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm just saying
1: Continue on <laughs> But
0: you know, and, and then I mean then you got Gar. I mean Gar actually was known to be Changeling. Okay. He he was known to be Beast Boy, then Changeling. He was on like a sci fi TV show that was supposed to be like Star Trek. Uh, cross between Star Trek and Space nineteen ninety nine. Uh in between his Titan and Doom, Doom Patrol and Titan gigs. And but then you had Cyborg, it's like You know, it's no wonder in later times Dick would wear, like, a disguise when he went out with Corey. Because maybe somebody brought up, you know, you're really going to blow Batman's secret identity (laughs) by hanging out with these people.
1: The only thing I will say is the name Phoenicia. Uh That's a little too, you know, the Phoenicians and, you know, the Greece. That's a little much. But, yeah. I get it again. I will say to Miss Carol Flynn, "Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous."
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know it's kind of funny because they have Diana and Donna. Uh, that Diana comes in and talks to Donna and gives her a little pep talk, and it, it's it's interesting because, like we pointed out when we did our Who Is Donna Troy episode, their relationship is is largely a lie. I mean, as far as it's it's a fabricated relationship we didn't really see it in print because you know only because of teen titans is she a separate character from wonder woman you know because she's supposed to be like superboy was grew up to be superman you know uh it was just an it was just an editorial screw up and you know but so it's there were issues here and there where they teamed up but they weren't they weren't Batman and robin they weren't aqualad and aquaman they weren't even flash and kid flash you know they didn't have that really in print so, it's it's always kind of interesting when they they act like they did. It's, it's, a, it's a retcon. When Dick comes in, you they Wolfman and Perez, again, play with that what might have been. Yeah. Like, there's something between them. But, it's like, like Dick said, it's almost more than it could be. It's more than romance. So, that's why they never acted on it. It's like they're, they're brother and sister type. But, they're still... It's like they're not because they still have a little bit of an attraction. So... Maybe it's like Luke and Leia, brother and sister. I don't know. But, Ew. <laughs> but Ew. there's definitely something there. So we'll do a quick rundown of who some of the wedding guests are. Besides the current Titans, uh, you got Roy, Speedy Harper, uh, Wally, Kid Flash West, and Francis Kane, his crazy girlfriend. Duella, Harlequin Dent, Garth Aqualad, who doesn't have a last name, and Tula, Aquagirl, same. Some guy, Clark Kent, I don't know who he is. <laughs> and Lana Lang, <laughs> Uh, Hank Hawk and Don Dove Hall Lilith Mal Duncan and Karen Bumblebee Beecher Betty Batgirl hyphenated Kane Charlie Golden Eagle Parker Bruce Wayne, who's some guy, I don't know Marv Wolfman and George Perez uh, that we see I think the the colorist is in there too Uh, No, not the colorist, maybe the letterer Uh, He might have been I couldn't exactly remember what he looked like I remember reading that somewhere, but I couldn't find it there's a blonde guy with a mustache that's somebody. I don't know which one he was, but he's somebody that worked on the book. Is it?
1: You mean it's not in our ten pages of notes?
0: No, I couldn't find it. So, sorry. Uh, who was Litter on this one? Oh, John Costanza. It might have been him. might. I think it might have been him, the blonde guy with the mustache. He turns right toward the camera mm. as you are in the panel. Uh, I was a kid. I bought this off the stand's. And uh, the skinny dipping scene was pretty racy for a nine-year-old me. Oh, yeah. It's like, like,
2: oh, they're naked. (laughs) I'm
0: not even sure. I probably didn't even know what that meant, you know. It's like, oh, you know.
1: They don't have any clothes on. Oh, why do I feel
0: weird? Uh,
1: (laughs) Why don't my shorts fit anymore?
0: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You know, considering most of the Titans are just barely out of their teens... Poor Mal, sure it's gone to pot fast. He's pretty chunky for a former superhero in his early, early
1: twenties. His early
0: twenties—that's yeah. the thing—and we'll, I think I will get to that later. But Wolfman really portrayed them all as being older. They called them Teen Titans, but they—they they were more like their late tw- the late twenties Titans is what it felt like, you know, to me. Uh, I'm not really sure why Clark Kent, Lana Lang are there. Uh, you know, Superman helped out the Titans a bit, but and Wolfman wrote Action Comics for a bit in the '80s, but it's. That was kind of the. Really? Superman? You know. Uh, I think
1: that's more of a bring the rain kind of thing. Oh, Superman's in there, you know. Yeah.
0: Clark and Lana were dating at this point in the Superman books, though, because Superman and Lois were on the outs. So. Apparently, Gnark, or. Yeah, I guess it is Gnark, according to the Teen Titans cartoon. Gnark, uh, Lilith's time tossed caveman boyfriend, had died since his last appearance in the Teen Titans number 52 original series. Uh, so, it, when they first mentioned him, it's like, I wish he was here, and it's like, oh, he didn't show up, but then Mal's like, sorry about NARC, you know, Yeah, so it's like he died, so.
1: But then she's like, thanks, Mal, but I, and then, you know, she goes into the special sense, kind of like, oh, well, yeah, he died, but, you know. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, you know.
0: He's a real Neanderthal. I couldn't deal with him anymore. Uh, you know, he really is a Neanderthal. I'm, I'm not kidding. <laughs> Several fans who contributed to the Titans fanzine, or APA, Titans Talk, were drawn into the book and were included in the guest book. And uh, in the Titans uh, Companion, Volume 1 by Glenn Cadigan, which was a great reference for this and the other episode we did, (laughs) Perez mentions that Rob Liefeld is in the guest book but not seen because he missed the deadline to submit his picture. And he says something like, Rob was blowing deadlines even back then. <laughs>
2: oh, that's right. <laughs> the,
0: the, the scene, as a, as a huge Batman fan, the scene between Bruce and Dick is nice. There, there was a very long, drawn-out, never-ending storyline in the Batman titles about Nocturna trying to adopt Jason Todd out from under Bruce. So they mentioned that there. And, but then Dick's like, you know, why didn't you try to adopt me? And uh I, I always wondered well they they said why he didn't try to adopt him in the Untold Legend of the Batman, which we covered, mm-hmm. the judge was like, Since you're a bachelor I can't let you adopt him outright, but I can make him your ward or something, you know. Right, right. So it's like why didn't they go to that, you know? But of all the Titans, Starfire is, is isn't given much to do in this one. You know, she's there, she's, you know, in the bridal party or whatever, but you know, maybe they didn't want to show up to the bride. I don't know. She just doesn't give them much to do. I
1: don't know, though. I say that, you say that, but on page 30, they're talking about, you know, Miss Anders, my name's Mike Price, and I bought your poster when it came out. <laughs> you know, a little yeah. creepy, you know, middle aged man, macking on her, and everything. And right. the women are like, oh, you know, she must be a bitch just because she's pretty. And, you know, they don't want to like her just because she's pretty. And she's a, a sweet, she's portrayed at this stage. As a sweet person, she didn't doesn't become the slut that she becomes later. Yeah, yet. that so, that know.
0: all you know that 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 runs right through me. It, you know that portrayal of her is is uh, as just you know promiscuous and screw anything. That wasn't in the original books. I don't know where that came from, but she never slept around with anybody. It was her and Dick, and that was it. And that was... It's almost like, you know, them pigeonholing Captain Kirk into... It's even worse than that, because Captain Kirk did sleep around some But, I mean, he didn't sleep with every woman that come on Star Trek. But, it's... I don't know where that came from. And it just... It really... It really made me mad that when they did that. Especially because they market, you know, Starfire on the Teen Titans cartoon and... Oh, I know. Our little girl
1: has action figures of Starfire.
0: And they just make her a total slut. But, anyway, so... I don't know. Sorry. Derailed. Terry comments to Hank and Don Hall, I thought you were older. <laughs> this is, I think we may have brought this up on the Alan Brenner episode we did. Oh, okay. But this is the direct jab at Alan Brenner who wrote the story in the Brave and the Bold 181 which featured Batman teaming up with an aged and washed out Hawk and Dove despite the fact that their Titan contemporaries were still teens. So that was kind of a thumb his nose that Alan Brenner, but then Alan Brenner turned around and thumbed his nose that at Wolfman in the in the Christmas story with Dead Man where Kara's at the end of it, you know yeah. <laughs> Supergirl. <laughs> Dick confronts the former Harlequin saying she's too old to be Two faces daughter, as she claimed, because she was she first showed up, she was a Joker's daughter, and she was a Riddler's daughter, and she was a Catwoman's daughter. And then finally she became the Harlequin in the Titans book and then she revealed she was really Harvey Dent's daughter. He says she's too old for that. Perez really draws her to look like a middle-aged woman.
1: Oh, she looks like she's at least 40s.
0: Yeah, at least. This is like the one acknowledgment of the 70s, one of the few acknowledgments, I would say, of the 70s Titans a series. Uh, Wolfman, in particular, wasn't a fan of that, of that run at all. And after this, they pretty much erased her from history post-crisis, and then uh, post-Zero Hour, they eventually brought her back. But, you know, this is kind of her one... This is the one time she's even mentioned in the New Teen Titans run. And the other characters from that uh, era, from the Titans West branch, Betty Kane and Charlie Parker, uh, Batgirl and Golden Eagle, they're trying to recruit Aqualad and Aquagirl into a new Titans West. And Tula tells them it's, you know, bad. It's, you know, Titans West, it's an idea that's time's come and gone, but maybe they can start up another uh, super team and, and convince them into having a West Coast branch. West Coast Avengers had just come out okay. at this point, so I was I,
1: wondering about that.
0: Yeah, the mystery behind the door—you know, when you first, the first time you read this, makes you think there's going to be some supervillain attack.
1: Yes, you know? and especially where they had Lilith pick up on it—that's right. the part that I was like,
0: right. And then Wonder Woman picks up on it. I mean, Quester picking up on it was kind of odd, but you know, Lilith is precognitive and. You know, can predict when bad stuff's going down. So, of course, it's Apolita, and she's floating above the floor because she can't touch, you know, ground in man's world. Or she'll lose her immortality. So, Jericho catches the garter, and he places it on the leg of Sharon, Donna's old roommate from the old series. And apparently she says something rather naughty, but <laughs> we don't know what it is. But they like, we're going to have to edit that out of the video. You know... It's it's kind of sad. Donna and Terry would be happy for a while, shown as a strong couple. They even have a kid, but some comic pros really really hated Terry. If you read that Titans companion, some of the editors that came on the book like totally hated the character. They didn't get the point of Donna, the, Donna who was always the mother hen of the Titans, the very st- the most stable member, finding a, a normal man to settle down with. Right. Uh, they just they couldn't stand him. So they, Which they,
1: might be the whole reason she never fell in love with Dick.
0: Yeah. So they had him turned into a cheating scumbag and they divorced and, and then him and her kid was killed in a car wreck. Yay, modern comics! <laughs>
1: what happened to Terry's little girl?
0: I don't know if they ever did anything with that because, yeah, he had a daughter by his previous marriage.
1: Because she was there.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: And how much older was he than Donna.
0: He was supposed to be in his thirties, pretty good, I think.
1: Wow. They,
0: yeah, they had. That's inter-
1: kind of skeevy. Yeah, they had. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah,
0: or maybe his late twenties, but
1: okay, I can handle late twenties. But when but he goes, was a history
0: professor, with you know, I think that he had, I think he had tenure, so. Ew. Yeah,
2: I mean, he was
0: he was the older man. I mean, they introduced him early on in the series. I think they introduced him in that day. Day in the Life issue, like number 8 of the series, so this is number 50, so he'd been around for about 42 issues. Ew! Uh, According to... uh,
1: And he, that's in in this comic, I mean, he keeps making naughty references, and you know, he got him a young thing, and that's just, ew!
0: (laughs) I'd have to look it up. There's people probably saying, no, he's always supposed to be 28 or something, but I I, for some reason, I'm thinking he was in his 30s, but I i mean... You know. I
1: hope you're wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, but anyway, so according to Titans Companion Volume 1 again, uh, George Perez contributed a lot to this issue's plotting and the wedding in general. His first wedding had been huge, and he had recently gotten married to Carol Flynn, as we said. So he was, you know, happy in and love and everything. And, and apparently Wolfman's marriage to his wife, Michelle, who was a colorist in comics was kind of falling apart at the time, so no. he brought the, he brought the Perez brought the happy, he,
1: Well, George Perez, when we met him, I mean he just seems like a jovial nice fella.
0: Oh yeah, I mean I, mean,
1: it, I think that's just his personality
0: Yeah, I think so too, yeah I've, I've never heard anything, anybody ever say anything bad about George Perez that's ever met him, so and speaking of Perez, he, he said he felt that the Titans popularity allowed them to get away with a comic with no superheroes or villains and and, and none of them even on the cover. And he said, you know, had this book not been DC's best-selling title, they probably would have never got away with it. They would have had to have had some super heroic element to it. As far as the art goes, it's George Perez, so it's great. Uh, but Mike DiCarlo's Inks, he, he kind of tended to overpower who he was working on. He's not a bad match with Perez, but, you know, his style's a little chiseled-looking. Mm. Uh, you know, it... it I, He did some other inks over Perez, but I think Perez was doing layouts in some of those, and it was even more DiCarlo than Perez. But here, you get a pretty good balance of Perez. You can see Dick Giordano uh, here and there in the inking I Can. Uh, DiCarlo was actually Giordano's assistant, uh, and he became a very uh, prolific inker at DC during this period. He ended up inking Batman for a long time after this. Again, like we said with the Who is Donna Troy, this is a true mature comic. Yes, some of the dialogue now seems kind of flowery and it's a little purple and overwrought, maybe for modern audiences. But there's, you know, there's no doubt that these characters they're they're indeed mature. You know, mm-hmm. they are well-rounded people. They come across that way. You know, they may be a bit too mature for quote-unquote teen characters. But, you know, like I said, Wolfman always wrote them a bit older than they should have been. But there's no guts, no blood, no swearing, and no dismemberment.
1: No, And no cleavage. No,
0: <laughs> not even from Starfire. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm serious.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah,
0: she's covered up in this one. Yes. Unfortunately, by the time Wolfman had Dick in Starfire's wedding in... New Titans uh, number one hundred. The second series was retitled New Titans number one hundred. It was disrupted by a possessed Raven, and you know, typical bad comic book wedding. So, right? How times change, you know, unfortunately. But uh, so, you got anything else on this one?
1: No, just again, just a beautiful, beautiful dress. I love it. I mean, so you know, that's
0: your favorite out of these three for sure, right? Oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. You know, it is. It is one of those that. It delivers what it needs to. And it it is a nod to what comics could be if they were allowed to be. Mm. And they're a nod to the fact that, guess what? Everybody's not a knucklehead that needs, like you said, dismemberment, guts, cleavage. You can...
0: Have a quiet issue. Yeah, yes. they would never publish that comic in a in a, a modern superhero no. comic nowadays. That story would never see print that way.
1: This speaks to the fact that comic readers have intelligence. Yes,
0: yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> I agree. So before we go, you've actually flown on your own to another podcast.
1: I have. I was very uh, excited to be asked to be on Disney Indiana, and it's DisneyIndiana.com and I got to speak with Tracy and Sarah About um, all the Non-Disney princesses So that was pretty cool um, I think it's going to be episode 172 it Should be coming up soon very shortly And you were also on a podcast
0: Right, right uh, Our uh, friend Andy Leland uh, Who we mentioned before uh, Asked me to uh, be on his Palace of Glittering Delights Show uh, Which is at 2 com. And uh, we actually talked about Two Star Trek annuals that DC put out, but we talked about Star Trek in general. Now I'm not exactly sure when that episode is going to go up, but it'll probably be up, you know, fairly soon. So right. Keep right. an eye out. You should always listen to Palace anyway. But and Disney Indiana, uh, if, if uh, any of you haven't listened to it before, that's a great Disney uh, podcast. Covers all things Disney, which includes Marvel and Star Wars, any property that that Disney has. We've run the trailer on right, our show right. before, uh, but Scott and Tracy Morris host that. It's a great show. And you guys actually talk quite a bit about Marvel stuff, right?
1: Right, we do. Um, and Tracy asked my, Sarah and myself to be on it, and Sarah handled the Star Wars angle, and I handled the superheroes. And so, even talked about Jesse the Yodeling Cowgirl. So
0: That's cool. So, keep an eye out for that. Or an ear out for that. Uh, so, that's it for this time. Um, next episode, we are going to, of course, you know, kind of probably, if you remember episode two, you know we covered superman and spider-man there Mm -hmm. so in part two of our wedding issue episode we're going to cover the wedding issues of amazing spider-man and superman and in fact we're going to cover two weddings of superman and he marries the same person
1: (laughs) so there you
2: go
0: (laughs) and i'm sure everybody that's reading this oh i know what they're going to cover but well, we'll slightly surprise you next time. So. so thanks for listening. If you've got comments on this one, please uh, drop us a line at supermatespodcast at gmail.com. If you feel froggy, you can leave us a review on iTunes, and we'll see you in about two weeks. Bye. Bye. Supermates is a Franklin and Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises worldwide. The fictional characters and events mentioned in this show are trademark and copyright their respective owners. Likewise, all audio clips are copyright their owners, and we mean no infringement by either. Thank you for listening to Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast.
2: Beloved, we are
1: gathered here today to join Reed Richards and Sue Storm together in
2: holy Patra. What is it? Venice is sinking into the Adriatic. Oh, boy. That's a biggie. Can we just skip to the end? Yeah. Uh, the love these two share... No, the very end. Yeah. Great. Uh, you have the rings? Oh, Oh, yeah. I now pronounce you man and wife And you may kiss the bride
0: Okay We should get
2: out of here Yeah